Thank you, worship team. Um, folks, we have the real privilege this morning of having Pastor Ivan Miles with us, but why don't we just bless him as he comes up to the stage, just put our hands together as he comes on up. Thank you very much. And we'll just pray um, for Pastor Ivan before he brings the message. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful that we get to hear from such a great um, leader, Lord, for a man who's full of wisdom and integrity. And Lord, this morning I pray that we would have open ears and soft hearts to whatever you want to say through Pastor Ivan this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. And thank you to the, the group this morning for uh, leading us in worship. Isn't it great this morning to be in our Father's house and just to worship? And hey, it just makes you feel relaxed, doesn't it? You know, it makes you feel so good. And... Uh, I've brought a message this morning um, because we, we have just embarked into a new year and uh, quite often at least, I'm not altogether sure that I, uh, my wife would agree with the words of your prayer that I'm a man of wisdom and <laughs> in fact I think there's very few people would really agree with that but here I am for better or worse and uh, I want to fill your hearts this morning uh, with calm assurance, because God gave me this message. He's very good to me, you know. He has never failed uh, to give me messages to speak, which is a great thing, because sometimes I'm not really that ready. And uh, I remember when I was only saved a few weeks and uh, most of you here would know my, a little bit about my background. I was quite a heavy drinker and uh, played with a rock group and all that sort of stuff. And I was only saved a few weeks and I was in the house on a Saturday morning. I had a huge row with my wife, Isabel, to the point where I was getting ready to storm out of the house and she had stopped speaking to me altogether. And as I opened the door, my pastor was standing right in front of me. He was a Salvation Army officer, of course, at that time. And he looked, took one look and he said, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, I'm getting a picture and no sound because my wife wasn't speaking to me. He saw the humorous side of that and burst out laughing, which made me laugh. And then he said, would you come and help me? And I said, of course I will. And I was just so glad, you know, that at the right moment, God had put someone who was deeper in the faith than me and who trusted God and knew exactly what to do at that moment. And Captain Harper, I went along with him and we did a work for the Lord that day. And I'm so glad that that has happened over and over again. And I want you to say hallelujah to this because God has a plan for my life. You see, he knew before I got up that morning, that things were not going to go well, but he was there. And this morning, you want to know that God is here. And so he gave us this message, and it's from Jeremiah. And it says in Jeremiah chapter 29, it's going to come up here for you on the screen. Look at that. Look at that. I know the plans I have for you. See, God knows. We may not know it yet. We might be thinking about it, praying about it, and talking about it, but God already knows. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster, 
to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me in earnest, you will find me. And when you seek me, I will be found by you, says the Lord. Isn't that just absolutely wonderful? We just know that Jeremiah was a wailing prophet. <laughs> he wept a lot. Don't know if there's any of you like that here. I'm not much for a weeper. I like to enjoy myself. And, uh, but this is a great text because it allows us to meditate on the fact that God has plans for our lives. And I wonder how many of you here, I'm not asking for a show of hands, I'm not going to try to embarrass anybody, but I wonder how many of you are convinced that God has a plan for your life. That's for the individual. Let's take it a step further. I wonder how many of us are convinced that God has a plan for this church. I don't doubt that for one moment because he has it written all down for me. And I wonder how many of us believe that God has plans for this world and everything that's in it. You see, I believe in the sovereign power of God, the sovereignty of God. He's King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. That's what I, that's what I believe. And I'm going to take a moment to look at Abraham. Just for a moment. This is all from Genesis chapter 12, starting at verses 1 and 2. It's not coming up, so you'll just have to listen. Now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country. Get away from your family and from your father's house. That's always the scary part of the plan. Get up and get out, sell your house, move on. And nobody really wants to do that. That's the scary part of stepping out for God. And then he says, to a land, listen to these words, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And my, my grandson come up to the house. He's eight. And uh, he came in and I sat down. And I said, do you like a wee drink and a biscuit? Yes, granddad, thank you. And I brought over a biscuit on a plate and a glass of Coca-Cola. Some of you may not agree with giving a child Coca-Cola. I'm all up for it. <laughs> Get them hyped up and uh, let's have a really good time, you know. Sit them down the biscuit. He looked at the biscuit. He said, that's disgusting. And I trotted dutifully over to the cupboard and brought him back a Jaffa cake. And he licked the chocolate and then he said to me, ah, that's better. And I think we listen sometimes to God's plan and we have something in our idea that that's not really what I want and we, we want to do something different and, and we're not going to get it. It's God's plan. And he says to Abram, get up and go out to a land that I will show you. And then when I go to the same chapter, chapter 12, verse 7 this time, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land. Do you notice the difference? First of all, God's plan is to show Abram the land. But the second part is he's going to give the land to him. And you need to sit back and say, oh, that's better. The first part was quite difficult, but the second part is, is much better. First, I'm showing you it, now I'm going to give you it. But in between showing and giving, let me tell you, say amen, because in between there is a journey of adventure to go on with God. And for anybody here today that's sitting back and going through difficult times or whatever, I don't know, it's things going on in my life that are quite hard at the moment too. But the, the main thing to remember is we are on a journey with God. And sometimes at the start of it, it's difficult. But as we go through, we find it's an adventure. It's, it's wonderful. I'll tell you what, it's great to serve God. It truly, I, I'm saying that from the bottom of my heart. I have never enjoyed my life as much. Well, nearly, and was trying to look around there and just thought, well, 
you're not all that happy. To your descendants, I will give you this land. And here's the third part. This is the same chapter, chapter 12, verse 10 this time. Now there was a famine in the land. And I hope I'm not paranoid about this. If I am, and you've experienced similar to what I'm about to say, please let me know. It seems to me that almost every time I set out to engage in God's plan for my life or begin some new aspect of ministry, it's as if something has to go wrong right away. It's almost a precursory to what we're going, it has to happen. You know, here's your, here's your ministry. And uh, right away you, you, you run into a problem. Or here's what you're doing today and right away you run into a problem. I've listened to the Lord, says Abram. I've obeyed the Lord. I went and looked at the land. I've left my family. I got out of the house and God gave it to me. But now there's a famine. Jesus was baptized. The Holy Spirit came down upon him like a dove. The voice of the Father was speaking to him. And off he goes into the wilderness. And what happens? Hunger. And a massive confrontation with the devil that would have floored most of us, but not the Son of God. He knows the plan. He knows what he's doing. He knows there's going to be opposition. When I knew that God planned to save me, I stepped out in faith. And Satan would have robbed me immediately. That's why I commenced that message with the story about the Salvation Army officer standing in front of me. I was only a few weeks saved, and Satan would have knocked me for six. But God knew, and God sent that man to stand right in front of me and prevented me from going down a wrong path. God may have revealed his plan or, or part of a plan uh, for this very church. This is a weird thing. I've experienced this time and time again as a pastor and as a leader. And as soon as the church steps out in obedience to the plan, you're going to be met with opposition. Here's a horrible thing. Sometimes that opposition comes from within the church. can never get my head around that. Jesus wasn't all that surprised when his disciples run and left him in Gethsemane. He had already told them it was going to be part of the plan. But get this, he still felt the disappointment. He still felt hurt. He still felt let down. And even at the beginning of a new year with new hope and new opportunities, God's plan worked through in your life is going to be confronted by the powers of darkness and the forces of evil, even to the extent of sending his Judases with their alternative plans to the known plan of God. I hate it when I read, you know who I love listening to? Derek Prince. He's not everybody's theology, but he's mine. And I love listening to him. You know why? He hits me with a passage of scripture. And I think to myself, I put on the Nazarene theological college head here. And I'm not very happy with what you've just said. You must have got that wrong. And I read the Bible and he's right. And you know something, it's great to be humbled. <laughs> because he says to me in a way, you know, argue with God about that one. And I can't. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 20 to 22. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him. And to him you shall hold 
fast. You, you listening to this? To him you shall hold fast. Remember that little verse. And take oaths in his name. He is your praise, Holly, thank you. And he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. Who would have thought that? Who would have thought that plan would have worked out? Who would have thought that that man down on a cross in Jerusalem all of 2,000 years ago would have led me to the place of salvation and knowing, knowing that my way to heaven is open because Christ is leading me all the way. I don't have time to do it today, but check it out in God's word. How many times we are told to hold fast. Grip hold of the Lord. Hold fast to the Lord. Hold fast to confession. Hold fast to your testimony. It just goes on and on and on. When you know God's plan for your life, for ministry, for prosperity, even if famine hits hard, God's word is true. Hold fast for his promises are sure. Standing, that's not what we sing, standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. You can hold fast. There was a woman uh, she was living in a, a nursing home, and she had a wee budgie in a cage. And she taught the budgie to sing Amazing Grace. <laughs> and people used to come in, and uh, the woman would say, sing. And the budgie would start singing Amazing Grace. And people started putting money into the wee cage. And the woman would collect the money up and send it all off to the missionaries. And one day, two people come in, a couple come in. And as soon as the budgie saw them, started to sing Amazing Grace. And the two people thought, oh, it's not absolutely lovely. And they went over and they put money into the cage. And they looked at the woman and they said, that's beautiful. I'm sure you're delighted to hear that. And the woman said, yes, I am. She says, and you know, that budget has sent thousands of pounds to the missionaries. And she says, the beauty of it is he's not even saved. <laughs> and I have often thought about that. And I wonder what would have happened at that point. He's not even saved. The budget had jumped onto its perch and testified. I wonder what really happens when we hold fast our testimony and sound it out loud and clear for God. Do you ever wonder about that? Somebody told me one day in a pub, sitting blind drunk about Jesus Christ, and here I am today, holding fast. But I have something better to tell you. It's not me holding on to God. You know that. Bobby, you know, it's God holding on to us. It's God holding on. And here's an important factor that some Christians apparently want to ignore. The plan and the promises also involve a path. The plan is to bring many. This is the truth. The plan, God's plan is to bring many into the kingdom of God and to bring them to the Father. And Jesus says that plan has a pathway to follow. 
Here it is. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through, through me. Two great truths are expressed here. Nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus. And the second one is Jesus is the pathway that everyone must go through. And to gain more knowledge about this path that I believe God wanted me to speak about to you, I opened my concordance. That's what pastors do in case you think we're just an inbred computer of some description. I looked it up in a concordance and I looked up the word paths. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. I was bowled over by this. And I find this all the time. I start to write a sermon and then God blesses me abundantly because his word just throws up so many great things. I was bowled over. The Old Testament in particular is packed. And I mean packed with references, with walking on, staying on, and keeping to God's pathway. There's hundreds of them. So I hope you've brought a lunch because I'm going to start now. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. Uh, three. I've taken three. And the first one is going to come up on the screen. And I've chosen these because I think you'll be familiar with them. Psalm 17, verse 5. My steps have held. What did I tell you earlier on? Hold fast. And his steps have held. The psalmist's steps have held. Uh, my steps have held to what? To your paths, and my feet have not slipped. Have any of you ever felt your feet slip? You know, sometimes <laughs> you think you're secure. And I was walking down to the church, and uh, I was wearing leather sole shoes. I, I'm showing off now to let you know that sometimes I buy some good stuff. Leather sole shoes on an icy path. And I'm just walking down, and my two legs went right up into the air, and I landed on my back. Don't forget, I was the preacher at the time, too. Oh, boy, was it sore. And you know what made it really bad? Isabel killed herself laughing. She could not move. And I was so annoyed at Isabel for, for laughing at me. And I thought, I'm going to get up and preach when I feel so bad. My steps have held to your path. My feet have not slipped. And I observed in my very early days as a Christian that there were some who were Listen to this. I'm not knocking anybody here, incidentally. But I did notice you can't help doing it when you're a young Christian. Uh, and I, I noticed that there were some people who were very casual or haphazard in their attendance to the means of grace. I love that phrase, the means of grace. That's a Wesleyan phrase. Very haphazard. One week they would take communion, the next they wouldn't. Then it would go for two or three weeks, and then they would embark on it again and take it, you know. And uh, on the odd occasion, they would attend a prayer meeting. And everybody would be like, oh, it's lovely. It's, thank you for coming to the, the prayer meeting. And then they wouldn't be there for another five or six weeks. Sometimes they didn't come back at all. Sometimes they'd come to an odd Bible study. And Sundays were optional. Open our witnesses and testimony. Never. They were never there. And these were always the people whom my pastor could never depend on to carry out even the smallest ministry in the church. Here's a terrible observation, but it's the truth. I also observed that they were also the people who fell away first. They would fall away from their church a little bit. 
bit by bit, then you go along someday that falling away from God. It always happened to those people. And what frustrated my pastor was he knew it would happen. And he tried to tell them. And they wouldn't listen. Here's Psalm 23, verse 3. You're bound to know this one. Psalm 23, verse 3. What does it say? You see it? What does he do? He renews my strength. What does he do then? He guides me along right paths. You see that? Bringing honor to his name. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And God helped me to see that there was a narrow path which leads to life and a broad path that would lead me to destruction. Here's the most wonderful thing about God. He allowed me to choose which path I could take. He's doing exactly the same for every person in this church. You can choose to follow Christ, become a Christian, or you can choose a different path. He allows you to make the choice. You can choose to enter into his ministry, love and serve him with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your might, or you can choose some other way. He's leaving it entirely up to you. He says you can choose a narrow path, and it's going to lead you to life. Or you can choose a broad path. You know these scriptures. That would lead you to destruction. And he allowed me to choose which path I would take. But one thing I grasped very, very quickly, I couldn't go down both paths at the same time. <laughs> you can't go hobbling along on two paths. It is never going to work. Settle it in your mind. Settle it in your heart. Settle it in your spirit. Do what God says. He also showed me this path also meant taking up the cross daily and following him. It was his words. And that was the call on my life. But it was never just about me. Christian life is never just about us. Ministry is never just about us. Church is never just about us. The path of righteousness that we are led on is for one reason. It's for his name's sake. And the reason for Christian apologetics was to show that Christians were good. They meant you no ill. They meant you no harm. They wanted to show by their own lives that Jesus is good and righteous and just. And so if we sin and we are deliberately rebellious or if we're going down a road that the world makes look attractive, what are you letting down? It's not you. You're doing what you want. Why would you be let down? It's his wonderful name, that glorious name of Jesus that we let down. Choose a good path. Choose the right path this morning. Make it your ambition right now to say within your heart, I know what God is saying to me. I know where he's trying to lead me. I know what he's asking me to do. And now I'm going to do it. Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. Here it is. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. And there are three things that you can just lift right out of 
the words of that psalm right now. And here they are. Show, teach, guide. Do you know how wonderful God is at speaking right into your heart, your mind, and your spirit to show you and to teach you and to guide you? He is wonderful at doing that. The Lord has a plan for your salvation. And when you accept his free gift and begin to look for his plan for the rest of your life, he quickly shows us that there is a path to follow sometimes hard, sometimes full of joy, sometimes a cross, sometimes bread and wine on a feast of love. But take up your cross, bear it willingly. It is for his name's sake and also for the sake of the church. And so when Jeremiah, that weeping prophet, speaks out, he gives a message to God's own people. And it's from the Lord himself. And God says to his people, remember that they are in exile in Babylon. They're not in their comfortable Jerusalem or their comfortable church or anything else. They're having a hard time. And Jeremiah speaks into that difficulty and he says, I know, God knows, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. You're sitting here in Babylon in exile but my plans are for good. They're not for disaster. They are to give you a future and a hope. And in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me in earnest, you will find me. And when you seek me, I will be found by you. And later on, those people who were in exile, as they started to make their way back towards Jerusalem, the prophet Isaiah spoke out these words, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Here was Isaiah's words. Listen, this is beautiful. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice. Even with joy and singing, the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, listen, be strong. Do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Listen. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters will burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become like a pool and the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of jackals where each day there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and a road. Come on, what is it? And that shall be called the highway of holiness. And the unclean 
shall not pass over it. You know what? Not just a simple path. God has a highway where your feet don't stumble or slip, where your knees don't get sore and your eyes can't see and your ears can't hear. It's a highway God opens up to people. A wonderful highway of holiness that God has prepared for you and for me. You are Christians. You are in your father's house. And your father has a plan to take you all the way to glory. That's our God. That's the message from a wailing prophet or a prophet who is filled with joy as he makes his way through the desert. Make your way in Christ this morning. Make it a highway of holiness. Let your heart be glad and let God heal. Isn't he wonderful? Amen. Hold fast your testimony.